We were looking last week at the raising of the widow's son with Elijah and seeing how the resurrection power came, but it took place just at the end of a time of judgment where Elijah declared there's going to be no rain upon the earth for three and a half years and it came to pass. But now God's moving in his power. He's bringing some restoration to Israel. He wants to bring new life. And it started with the widow's son, right? but then in the land. But really, it, his ultimate purpose was to restore the spiritual life of his people. And you know, we're going to look later on at how he did that at Mount Carmel. When Elijah said, come near, let's rebuild the altar to God and let's serve God again. And they started to walk in that way. Well, for a little bit anyway. But, but then fire came down from heaven and they met with the Lord. But chapter 18 begins with a word of the Lord or a word from heaven to Elijah. And let's look at that in 1 Kings chapter 18 and verse 1. And it says, it came to pass after many days, right? It had been many days since that famine started, that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year saying, go show yourself unto Ahab and I will send rain upon the earth. And so as this intense drought is continuing, there's no end in sight. God speaks a word, I'm going to send rain. And not only that, but he said, go tell it to Ahab. Right, go, go proclaim it. And that must have been interesting. Like, well, okay, I'm going to proclaim it. No clouds in the sky, no rain on the land. The land is just barren, right? Uh, now, I haven't been to Israel, but you see pictures of it, and it's just a desert. Right? And if there's no rain, it's really a desert. They say in, in the spring, there actually is, there are green, green plants. They grow up, and, and kind of the desert blooms. But when there's no rain... There's nothing there. And so here he is going and saying, you know, I'm going to, the rain's coming. Get ready. And so he, he had only the word of the Lord. He just had that word of faith from heaven. And he had to walk in that. And so he believed the word of the Lord. He declared it to the king. And, you know, sometimes that's just the first step. The first step is we just have to declare what God is saying, Lord, okay, your word's true. I'm going to believe it. I'm going to declare it. I'm going to agree with it. Even though he didn't see any evidence. Right? And we're going to, you can read in the story about how severe the drought was. You know, Ahab was taking his, the last of his horses that survived. And, he's, and he said, let's go, let's just search the land. Maybe there's grass somewhere in the shadow of some mountain where the sun hasn't, you know, beat on it. Maybe by a spring or something. Let's try and save the horses. I mean, it was such a difficult time. But God spoke to Elijah the word entered into his heart through belief so that he would begin to walk in that way and declare it to to Elijah or to Ahab. You know, so often the miracle takes place as we begin walking. As we begin walking in the way of what God is saying, even though we don't see that taking place. And, you know, we talked about, I think it was last week. Did we mention Eliezer last time? Last week? I can't remember when I preached it, but, um, you know, Abraham's servant Eliezer, Genesis twenty four twenty seven, where he said, I, being in the way, 
the Lord led me to the house of my master. And I found what he was looking for. He sent me to find you know, a, a wife for his son. And God did that miracle when I was in the way. He produced that miracle as he was moving, going in the direction. Then God can do it, right? even though nothing had happened in the natural. Uh, we're going to be introduced to another character in the story here, a man named Obadiah. We're going to look at him in a moment, but uh, there's something interesting we read about him. That I kind of picked up as, as just saw that phrase in 1 Kings 18 and verse 7. And it says, as Obadiah was in the way, behold, Elijah met him. Now, Obadiah was a righteous person, right? We're going to see that. But he was a servant to one of the most wicked kings in the history of Israel. But he was a righteous man. And I'm sure he would have loved to, you know, have a meeting with the prophet and share his heart and his burden with the prophet. And how, how did that take place? It actually ended up taking place. It says, as Obadiah was in the way. Well, what was the way? Well, that was when wicked King Ahab said, Obadiah, you take horses and go this way. I'm going to go that way. We're going to search out for some grass. His way was just following the commands of his wicked master. And when he was faithful to do that, and he was obedient to do that, he met Elijah. It wasn't from a word of the Lord. It was when he was just doing what he was supposed to do what he was asked to do. And, and there's a truth here we want to understand is, you know, sometimes God will give us direction. He'll give us divine guidance from heaven. It's so wonderful, you know, when you've prayed and, and God speaks something so, so clear into your hearts. I love it when he like makes the way plain. It's like, okay, now we know what to do. So that doesn't always happen though. Right? I think we can all raise our hand that right, we've had experiences where we wanted a word from heaven. We didn't get it. We got some more subtle direction, and we have to trust God. You know, we have to be careful sometimes of limiting God to a method of how he speaks. Obadiah met the prophet Elijah as he was just faithful to obey his master. Right? Then he could share his heart and declare how he had been following God and, and we'll look at what he did in a moment. But you know, it can be so wonderful that at times you know, we're going through great difficulty and God can bring that man or woman of faith and can encourage our hearts. As Obadiah experienced, you can share your heart with them and, and be in a, have, receive an impartation. But how did it come to pass? Is that it was as he followed the direction of his wicked master that Obadiah met with God or met with Elijah. You know, you could say he was just walking in the wisdom that God had given him. And then he, that's how he met with the Lord. And so we want to be careful. We don't want to limit God to directing us in a certain method, right? God, you have to meet with me in this certain way. You have to speak to me in this certain way. Then I'll, then I'll trust you. Then I'll follow you. You know, sometimes God will direct us and, Ways we don't understand or we can't experience or don't, you know, aren't expecting. I was thinking of, of that very godly King Josiah. You know, he had followed the Lord his whole life, but at the end of his life, there was that experience where 
Pharaoh was coming up out of Egypt, and he wasn't even, he was just passing through Israel on his way up to a town called Carchemish, which was in northern Syria. And he was passing through, and, and this godly king said, hey, we're going to have some words. In fact, we're going to fight. And Pharaoh said, I don't have anything against you. In fact, he said something very interesting in Second Chronicles 35:21. But Pharaoh sent messengers and said, What have I to do with you, O king of Judah? I haven't come against you this day, but, uh, but against the house which I have war, which I have war, for God commanded me to make haste. God has commanded me to go and make war in this place. Stop meddling with God. Hmm. That's interesting. Here's Pharaoh speaking. Stop meddling with God, who is with me, lest he destroy you. And we know the story is that, well, he, Josiah got destroyed because he didn't recognize God speaking through a vessel that was not very holy, who, you know, who was not really, you could say, God, godly or you know, serving God, but God was speaking through him. And if Josiah had had ears to hear, he maybe could have saved himself, saved his life. And so we, we want to look for the word of the Lord from different places. All right? God can speak to us in many different ways. But they're words of life if we can hear them. They came through Pharaoh for Josiah if he could have heard them. And so we want to be sensitive. You know, we're going to look um, at, at a little bit at, at Elijah Remember when Elijah went to the mountain of God and he was looking for God and, well, God, his voice wasn't in the the wind, it wasn't in the fire, it wasn't in the earthquake, but it was a still, small leading. So the, the direction or the lesson is that God can speak to us in many ways. He can direct us in many ways. and We want to be sensitive to hear his voice, to be obedient to what he's saying. Now, I want to come back to this individual, Obadiah. He's kind of an interesting character. When you really think about him and you consider his life, and you could say his ministry, right? He was under the house, in the house of Ahab. He was basically Ahab's steward. He was over his house. But his name means serving Yah or serving God. And so you might ask, how is he serving God by serving the most wicked king who ever was over Israel? That is a good question. I mean, I've, I've kind of thought about his position, and it's like, how, how does that even work? How can you serve God and serve wicked King Ahab? Well, it worked for God because God put him there. And, and we see why here in a minute. Well, actually, now. Because it was through his position that he was able to preserve the prophets of the Lord. They were being persecuted and systematically destroyed by Jezebel. If you were a prophet of God, you were, you're, you know, I don't know if, if they had like contracts out on their head or, you know, a reward for them, but they, they were, their lives were being sought to be killed. But Obadiah preserved them. I don't know how that worked, how he was second, you know, he was under Ahab, but yet, you know, Ahab had no idea. Probably he was preserving the prophets of the Lord, but God allowed him to do that. And when he met Elijah in the wilderness, he said this to him in 1 Kings 18 and verse 13. 
He says, Was it not told, my Lord, what I did when Jezebel slew the prophets of the Lord, how I hid a hundred men of the Lord's prophets by fifty in a cave, and I fed them with bread and water? And so God used him to preserve Israel. And that's kind of a theme. We're looking at, at Elijah and Elisha in this series, and God uses them to preserve, to preserve truth, to preserve God's ways in the midst of a wicked generation, in the midst of those who are actively trying to fight against God. In one sense, they're an example of how we are to be just as Christians. Not that we're fighting against our culture. Our fight is just being an example, being a light and a witness. And that's not always appreciated by culture, the current culture, you could say, but it's appreciated by God and his people. And so that, that's what he's calling us to do is to serve him. But Obadiah had to serve him in a very unique situation, you know, to be under, under Ahab. And, and I've often wondered, how was he able to survive in Ahab's court? In that place like where, where they exalted wickedness and, and they loved it. And usually when you're around wicked people, they want you to be wicked like they are. Right? They, they're not happy to allow you just to, to stay righteous. They want you. So how, how he was able to do that, I don't know. But God allowed it. God gave him favor with the king. You know, we see that with the prophet Daniel. How he didn't compromise his faith. He was able to stand for righteousness. But God gave him favor with, those, with many kings. And he was able to serve God. And it's a picture of the last days as well. It may be that God will promote some to places of authority, even in government. That's another one. Uh, another puzzle is like, you know, because you don't see many uh, politicians and government officials who are able to, to stay trustworthy or, you know, to stay faithful to the word of God without compromise. There's so much compromise out there on both sides. But for someone to, to be a faithful and to be a, uh, an example of righteousness, well, they must have just be totally reliant upon God and his spirit. But, you know, these are a picture of, of those who will be used by God to preserve his people, like Esther and Mordecai. How could you ever plan out a story like Esther? Well, I want to grow up someday and be the, be the queen and preserve God's people. Well... It doesn't work that way. But when God chooses you and you're faithful to God, he can use you to preserve the people of God. And I don't know how he's going to do it, but he's, gonna, he's good at doing that kind of thing. And we're going to see that again in the last days. But what I want, really wanted to, to key in on this morning was what kind of man Obadiah was like. What made him a man of God, worthy of, of our study? Well, it's really... In 1 Kings 18 and verse 3, this is what enabled him to be used by God and that, that the people of God, the prophets, could be preserved. It says, And Ahab called Obadiah, which was the governor of his house, and Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. He feared the Lord greatly. And that was the agent of preservation in his life. It was the fear of the Lord. And it was not just a general like, oh, he, he, he loved God and he kind of respected God's ways. It says he feared the Lord 
greatly. And that, that word in the Hebrew, it means with vehemence and intensity. It's kind of, you know, you think about like that zeal that came upon Christ when he was cleansing the temple. You know, and the disciples remembered, oh, it was the zeal of the Lord that came upon him. It's like he had a, he had a zeal for the fear of God. He feared him greatly. And it preserved him. You know, he was able to walk in the fear of the Lord. And we know the proverb says the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so if we have the fear of the Lord, we can walk in wisdom and be preserved. And so he was preserved in Obadiah's court. We can probably understand through great wisdom for what to say and how to act in, in the presence of the king. Well, what is the fear of the Lord? A good definition that you can get from Scripture is Proverbs 8 and verse 13. The fear of the Lord is to hate what God hates. To hate evil, pride, arrogancy, the evil way, no wrong speech. Those things do I hate. And so really the fear of the Lord is just to have a, a disdain for anything that will keep us from pleasing God and from serving him, from following him, from following the lamb wherever he would lead us. And when we have that, right, we make his will, following him, pleasing his heart, the most important thing in our lives at any cost. You think about the, the risk Obadiah was taking. What would have happened to him if Jezebel had found out he was hiding prophets in the cave and, and, and not just that, but feeding them? He had to find food. Can you imagine finding food for 100 people? I don't know how he, if he was cooking the books for like where the food was going. And it's like, you know, I'm sending bread and water here. But really, they were going to the prophets in the cave. But he was taking a great risk. But, you know, there was a cost involved in him making that stand. But he was more than willing to pay that. It didn't matter what the cost was. He feared the Lord greatly. And so he risked his life. He, he gave up his own security to do the will of God. But in doing so, it allowed many to be preserved. But the question is, how can we flow in the fear of the Lord? And there's many ways we can answer that. We've looked at, at, at it many times here in, in church, but I want to look at, at what David said in Psalm 86. You know, when I'm praying for the fear of the Lord, this is the psalm that usually comes to my heart in Psalm 86 and verse 11, where David says, Lord, teach me your way. I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. Unite my heart to have a fear and a reverence and a respect for you. And so that was, that was the cry of David's heart. Lord, I want to know you. I want to walk in your ways. And that's a part of fearing the Lord. If we fear him, We'll walk in his ways and we'll do whatever it takes to walk in his ways. Even when there's opposition, even when people don't want us to, we'll walk in his ways. And that, that was the most, you know, we can see from David's life, that was the most important thing in his life. And so David made a determination. Lord, if you teach me, if you instruct me, if you speak to me, I will walk in your ways. And really, that's, that's so important in life. We make a determination. Lord, I'm going to do that. 
Now, it's not that we're boasting and saying, like Peter, Lord, if every, everyone else fails you, I won't fail you. You know, we're, we're their, their context is we are, you know, acknowledging our weakness. We can only do it by God's grace. But yet we know he's good. And if we walk with, with him and we look to him and cry out to him, he'll give us everything we need to walk in his way. But yet there has to be that determination. And I've seen that in life. The ones who endure and overcome are the ones who make this determination. No, I don't care what it takes. I don't care what the cost is. Lord, help me. But Lord, I'm going to walk in your way. I'm going to do that because I don't have any other choice. That's what matters in life. It's what matters in eternity. Now, there's another psalm where where God is giving David a promise that he would instruct him and show him the ways, show him his ways. But he also gives David a warning. Psalm 32 and verse 8, where he says, I will instruct you, I'll teach you the way that you will go. I'll guide you with my eye. However, don't be like the horse or the mule. That, that don't have understanding. The only way that they can be directed was is with the bit and the bridle. I don't know if you've been around horses or mules much, but, you know, I've been around tame horses. Some of them are obedient and some not obedient. And when they're not obedient, they're not really fun to be around. They are ornery. I mean, that's kind of like most, that's ornery is like where we really get the context that ornery is a mule or something like that. Because they don't like to go where you want them to go. And so the only way to do that is with a bit and a bridle. And, you know, God desires to lead us with his eye. And the eye re- refers to the seven spirits of the Lord. He wants to guide us with his spirit. He wants to speak to us like with his still small voice. And we respond to that. and We walk in his way. But sometimes we can be ornery. We can be like the horse and the mule. And, you know, we want to go our own way. And so the only way he can do it is to move us, right? To put the bit and the bridle in and just, you know, that, that means we don't really have the choice. We, we have to go. And so sometimes he'll do that by bringing difficult circumstances in our life that cause us to cry out to him, that cause us to walk in his way. But that's not a nice way to live. That's not a fun way to live, not, not enjoyable in that sense that God can only get us to move into his pathway through difficult circumstances. He longs to just speak to us, that we'll respond to him and trust in his guidance. I heard a story about this plane that was trying to land in, in fog at, at a small airport. And the airport, well, it must not have been too small because it had radar. And so the, the, the controller, the yeah, the controller in the tower was was saying, "Look, I'm gonna. I can see you are on radar. Keep on this heading. You know, I'm gonna guide you in." And but the pilot remembered. There, I think there's a pole. There's this really tall pole somewhere, and I'm afraid I'm I'm gonna hit that pole. And he was just worrying and talking to the controller about it. And the controller stopped him and said, he gave him a kind of a blunt reply. He said, "Look, you obey my instructions. I'll take care of any obstructions." You see, if we listen and obey and trust in him, he will lead us into a smooth landing. He'll get us to where we want to go. He'll lead us to that good land. Now, 
It's not that we won't experience turbulence on the way to keep that airplane analogy going, right? We've all been through times where maybe we didn't have a smooth ride, but he gets us to our destination. He will guide us if we'll allow him to do that. The key is to have that determination and that heart to do as well. A divided heart, right, where there's part, part of us wants to do God's will and part wants to do our own will, that's where the trouble comes. In fact, that's often why people, you know, give up because this is that battle. It's like Jesus said in Matthew 12, 25, a house divided against itself will not stand. And so one of the most important things in our relationship with God is to have that singleness of heart. Lord, I just want to do your will. A heart that doesn't fight against obeying God. And so David's prayer was, Lord, unite my heart. If there's something, if there's not unity in my heart to do your will, Lord, do what it takes. Lord, cause your spirit to come into me by your anointing. Break the yoke. Right? And of course, we're talking about the, the fear of the Lord, as Isaiah 11 says, it's one of the the, the seven anointings of the Holy Spirit. We need his anointing because it will keep us and preserve us. Psalm 31 and verse 19, it says, oh, oh, how great is your goodness, which you have laid up for them that fear you, which you have wrought for them that trust in you before the sons of men. You shall, you shall hide them in the secret of your presence from the pride of men. You'll keep them secretly in a pavilion from the strife of tongues. And so the fear of the Lord can cause us to be hidden, to, be, to keep us, to preserve us. And it's that thought that it's like he's secretly watching over us, kind of like a bodyguard. He's there to protect us in whatever way we go. But it's all for that single purpose of pleasing him, of, of bringing delight to his heart, because we want to please him, because he's, he's a good father. You know, the fear of the Lord is to go beyond the natural fear, but it's, to, it's really the fear of the Lord is a love and a respect and a reverence for his ways. You know, the best teachers inspire their students to want to emulate them. I don't know if you've ever had like a good teacher in, in high school or college and, and like you respected them. And, and because of that, it's like, man, I want to do good in their class because I, I want to I please them. I want to, to show them respect and reverence or, you know, maybe a sports team would be even a better analogy. Like you, maybe you had a good coach on sports. It's like, I want to do a good job because I want to make him proud. I want to make my teammates proud. I want to please them. And I, so I don't want to let them down. You know, I think that the fear of the Lord is can be close to that. You know, I want to please my heavenly father. And so I want to strive to do my best. And this is what can unite our heart as we cry out to, to the Lord for his anointing and we develop the fear of the Lord, the fear of doing those things that will disappoint or displease our Heavenly Father. And instead becoming like Christ who said, I only do those things who will please my, that will please my Father. And so, and we covered kind of some different topics in this message, but but, you know, we see Elijah, who received that word of faith, and he walked in it. And as we're going to see later on, as he walked in it, he didn't give up, and God met him, and through him, the whole nation. 
But then this man, Obadiah, who greatly feared the Lord. And because of that, God could use him as well and flow through him. And so these are wonderful pictures of what God wants to do in his church, but in our lives. In this day, in this generation, he wants to have those who will be a preservative agent to those around us. But we have to make that determination. I will follow God. I will do what's right in God's sight, regardless of what other people think. Lord, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to do what pleases you because that's what matters for all eternity. I'm going to continue. I'm not going to give up because I'm going to walk in the fear of the Lord and you'll preserve me and you'll bring me into, a, into that good land. And Father, I just thank you for your word and for the examples we see in your word. Lord, that you would just come even in a fresh way. Lord, come in a fresh way and move in our in our hearts, Lord, we just see these examples of faith. And Lord, we pray that you would work within us. Lord, even cause your spirit to come upon us, that we will hear from you. Lord, that we'll respond to you, that we'll walk in your ways. Lord, we make our prayer like David. Lord, teach us your way. Lord, we'll walk in it. But Lord, we pray, we pray and cry out to you. Lord, would you unite our hearts to fear you? Lord, if there's areas in our lives where we're having that battle of doing your will versus our will. Lord, would you come and, and Lord, just by your, your spirit, by your word, would you remove those areas that our heart can be just united, Lord, to do your will. Remove those things from us that will keep us from fulfilling your, your plan for our lives. We just thank you, Lord. We look to you. We love your ways. We love your truth. Lead us, we pray in Jesus' name.